Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.org. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. I sit here in silent desperation this morning. I'm a teenager who's in serious trouble at school, and in only a matter of days, my parents will be notified. I'm the mother of a good Christian girl who has just told me she's pregnant. I'm a husband whose marriage is falling apart, and I can't seem to stop it. I'm a senior citizen, and the doctors just told me my wife can't possibly live more than a couple of months. I'm a successful business owner, and I've gotten everything I wanted in life, but it's not enough. I am blue and depressed and don't even know why, but I can't keep living with this emptiness much longer. I'm a parent whose child is in a far country and we are so far apart we can't even discuss spirituality anymore. I am single and I just invested everything I have in a relationship with another person who walked away without ever even looking back. I am an abused wife who often covers my bruises with makeup. I'm terrified to stay, can't afford to leave, got to stay for the sake of the kids. Oh, and you can't see my desperation by looking at me. I've learned to hide my feelings so deeply I can fool even myself sometimes. The people who sit on the other side of me would be surprised to know that I walk the floor each night and cry. I can imagine the shocked reaction of the people in this pew if they knew I would consider suicide. Or maybe they wouldn't be shocked at all. Maybe they've considered it too. So preacher, I sit here on Sunday morning and I don't want to hear a few thoughts about transactional analysis or theological exhortation on evolution. I don't want to hear you share a few thoughts you gleaned on Saturday night. I don't want to hear you review the latest book. I don't want to be amused with jokes or begged for money or made to feel guilty about the world's hungry. I hurt. I am empty and useless. My question of you is the same the king asked of the prophet Jeremiah. Is there any word from the Lord? That letter exemplifies that almost everyone has experienced times of hopelessness. As Henry David Thoreau famously wrote, most men live lives of quiet desperation. A situation beyond our control, and there seems to be nothing that we can do about it. 
And if you've never been there, I guarantee you will someday, and you will want some word from the Lord. At the end of the eighth chapter of Luke's gospel is a story of two people who turned to Jesus in desperation and found healing. The two were very different, but they had one thing in common. They were distraught. The first person, the first desperate person, was a man named Jairus, who was frantic because his little 12-year-old daughter was seriously ill, gravely ill. And in Luke 8, verse 41... It says, a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. When Jairus came and fell at Jesus' feet, I imagine his peers were embarrassed that he was so frantic. So frantic that he would go to this itinerant preacher Because at this time, most of the religious leaders had rejected Jesus as an imposter and they were plotting to kill him. Jairus didn't care what people thought because he was desperate. Few things panic you more than a child getting sicker by the minute. We've had that experience with... uh, with our little Miles and his nut allergies. The Albright family is having that experience with Nicholas. You feel panicky. You don't know what to do. You race to the emergency room. Jairus' daughter was obviously about to die, and, and he had heard about this miracle working power of Jesus and he just had to go find him he didn't care what others thought Jesus who loved little children was touched by his need and immediately headed towards his house and as Jesus went with him verse 42 says he was surrounded by the crowds on his way the crowds became so thick it almost crushed Jesus it must have been excruciating for Jairus as he and Jesus were slowed down more and more, kind of like an ambulance trying to get through heavy traffic. The clock was ticking. And now suddenly, to Jairus' dismay, everything came to a sudden halt. Why? Why had they stopped? Because there was a second desperate person. In verse 43, a woman in that crowd, had suffered for 12 years with constant, constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. An unknown woman, subject to bleeding. A constant hemorrhage. Such a chronic disorder would have been difficult for any woman of any era, but for a Jewish in in this era, nothing could be worse. Every part of her life was affected by this. Sexually, she couldn't touch her husband. Maternally, she couldn't bear children. Domestically, anything she touched in the house immediately became unclean. Spiritually, she couldn't enter the temple courts or even a synagogue. Physically, she was left exhausted. 
socially, she was ostracized. The contrast of these two people's needs show the variety of people who came to Jesus for help. Here's a man who's interceding for his child. Here's a woman hoping to find help for herself. The man's name is given. The woman is anonymous. Jairus was wealthy, a leading citizen of the community. This woman was lowly and broke. Jairus had been blessed with 12 years with his daughter, but he might lose her now. This woman had experienced 12 years of misery because of her affliction and now hopes to get well. Jairus' need was public. The woman's need was hidden. Jairus was the ruler of a synagogue. This woman's hemorrhaging made her unclean. She couldn't even enter a synagogue. Jairus' concern was life-threatening. The woman's problem didn't appear to be so imminently threatening of life. Men and women, if you pay attention, don't tend to pray for the same things. And yet the Apostle Paul instructs us in Scripture to the Philippians, pray about everything. Should we pray for little things? <clears throat> I mean, can you really name something that would be big, really big to God? Jairus' only daughter was dying. I, I take that to be pretty major. And Jesus was hurrying to her, but he was stopped to assist this nameless woman who had a serious problem, but it didn't seem to be threatening her life at the moment. And this woman discovered that Jesus cared for every individual in the crowd, regardless of their status, regardless of their need. As the psalmist had said so long ago, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. But this woman, seeing the crowd, seeing Jesus in a hurry, must have thought, Jesus is way too busy to notice me. If I could maybe just touch a piece of his clothing, maybe I would be better. So verse 44, coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus said. Everybody denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. If after worship, you're in the hallways or class and you turn around and say, Who touched me? Well... What do you mean? There are people all over around here who may have touched you. This can get quite crowded. But Jesus said, verse 46, Somebody deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. You may not be aware, there is an emotional drain that comes in ministering to people. Here Jesus exerted energy when he healed people. Now, Jesus knew all things. He could discern who it was that had touched him in the crowd. So why did he force this woman to come out publicly and admit it? Not because he wanted to embarrass her. Quite the contrary. He was a friend. He wanted to help her. And at least one reason seems to be that her relationship with Jesus needed to be personal, not nameless. It was so much better if she could look Jesus in the eye and she could speak to him rather than simply touch him as he passed by. Kind of like you watch some of the TV shows and, the, and when the host comes out to greet everybody, it's just kind of a 
just kind of run along and touch their hand kind of thing. You don't see them, you don't focus on them, that kind of thing. I think another reason is because her faith needed to be in Jesus and not in his robe. The mistaken idea that there's some magic power in his clothing. Sometimes you hear people say, you just gotta, you just gotta believe. You just gotta have faith. Just believe in yourself. As a follower of Jesus, our faith is not in faith. Our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is not in a building. Our faith isn't even in a cross symbol or in the scriptures or in prayer. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him, John wrote. I think another reason is that her healing needed to be made public. People needed to know that she was healed so that she could regain her place in society, perhaps, but, and no longer be a, a, uh, under prohibition that she had been in for so many years. And at least one more reason, it would increase the faith of Jairus. And he was about to need his faith increased. When the woman realized, verse 47, that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. I've seen people who wanted to be healed by Jesus anonymously. They wanted to go unnoticed. They, they'd like to fly under the radar. They'd They'd like to have the promise of eternal life and know the Lord was in their life, that they were forgiven, but they didn't want their families to know because they feared their family would disapprove. They didn't want their peers to know because they might ridicule them. But Jesus didn't allow us to have such a private healing very long. In the next chapter of Luke, he's going to say, if, you're, if anybody is ashamed of me here, <laughs> I'm going to be ashamed of them before my father. You might remember the Pharisee Nicodemus in John's Gospel who came to Jesus at night, apparently secretly, so that his peers would not have known that he was gone to encounter this Jesus. But the very last words he said to Nicodemus were these, Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, Nicodemus, so that it might be seen plainly that what he has done has been done by God. And after Jesus died, you may remember Nicodemus was one of the men who came and took his body from the cross and helped them bury him in a tomb. This woman tried to go unnoticed, but Jesus didn't allow her to. He stopped her in her tracks. He forced her to go public with her healing. A poor, unimportant sufferer, ignored by the crowd. But Jesus treats her as if she is the only person there. And he gave all of his attention at that moment to that one woman. Don't you just love that? Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Only, this is the only time recorded in Scripture that Jesus ever used this term of affection, daughter. Daughter. To the loved, a word of affection is a morsel. To the love starved, a word of affection is a feast. And Jesus threw this woman a banquet. 
But Jairus had been, was there, must have been beside himself because as, as they were talking, his, his daughter was wasting away. While Jesus paid attention to this nameless woman, he was anxious to get to his house. When some terrible news came, while he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus with the leader, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. It's no use troubling the teacher now. The worst possible news that Jairus could have received, he had to have been crushed with agony. His relatives tried to comfort him, and they tried to disassociate him, distance him from Jesus. Amazing. Amazing because the one who could do something about it is being brushed away. I don't think they were concerned that Jesus was being inconvenienced, but about Jairus being embarrassed by his association with Jesus. But when Jesus heard what had happened, verse 50, he said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. Well, Jairus didn't have anywhere else to go. And when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. Sometimes Jesus performed healings in a crowd and sometimes away from the crowd to protect dignity, privacy. Here he let just five people in, not to be a spectacle, but he did want witnesses, respected witnesses of the transformation. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. Well, they were paid. They were paid to people in that they paid others to mourn at funerals. The idea was so that the real mourners could weep without being conspicuous. Plus, if you were wealthy and you had a lot of mourners, it made you look more important. And I remember, oh, that sounds that's so strange, Jim. We wouldn't pay people to express emotion for us. We wouldn't. Have you ever seen an infomercial? Those people who are so excited and clap. They're being paid. He said, verse 52, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. Now, interestingly, in Scripture, there's a number of times death is compared to sleep. When Stephen died, it says that he went to sleep, Acts chapter 7. When Lazarus died, Jesus said, no, he's asleep. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, don't be ignorant about those who are asleep. Little girl asked her father, what's it like to die? And he said, you know, sometimes how you've gone to sleep in the car when we're driving home and you you wake up the next morning in your own room? I think it's kind of like that. To go to sleep here and to wake up in your father's house in your own room. 
Death for the believer is like falling asleep. Resurrection for Jesus will be as easy as rousing someone from their sleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she died. Some people will laugh at you and if you say you believe in life after death and if you're, you believe in resurrection, there'll be a condescending smile perhaps. I encourage you, Jesus has been there. Jesus has seen that. He knows all about it. And his answer is, I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus took her by the hand and he said in a loud voice, My child, get up! Literally, get up, little lamb. And at that moment, her life returned. And she immediately stood up. And Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And her parents were overwhelmed. But Jesus insisted that they not tell anybody what happened. You know they were ecstatic. They were beside themselves. And I would suggest to you there are at least two things that we can take from these stories. One is that when you are desperate, reach out to Jesus even through the crowd. Sometimes it may seem difficult to get to Jesus because of the people around him. I don't know, you may come to church... And everybody here seems so clean and neat, well-groomed, full of faith. And you may just want to back away. Or maybe you come to church and the crowd seems hypocritical, selfish, self-centered, bigoted maybe. And you're turned off by that. I believe, by the way, there's some of the finest people on earth here. But imperfect. Maybe you come to church and say, I, okay, but this is, this is so big, uh, I'm not used to this, I, I, I don't think I'll matter here. Well, the reason there's a lot of people here is because a lot of people have found, or were, have been found by Jesus here. So don't let the crowd prevent you from touching him. Only he can bring hope, only he brings healing, only he brings the redemption to life what we seek. In the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, later in Luke, when he heard that Jesus was coming, he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd, so refusing to quit, he went ahead of the crowd and climbed up in a tree so that when Jesus came by, he could see him. And Jesus did come by and saw him and invited himself to his house. And Zach's life was transformed forever. Get above the crowd. Allow yourself to see Jesus. He's perfect, and he can heal, and he can redeem life. But you have to reach out to him through the crowd. And secondly, when you're desperate, keep trusting Jesus, even through disaster. When Jairus turned to Jesus, his situation, did you notice, grew worse. Now, wait a second. He started following Jesus, and things got worse, at least temporarily. They didn't get better. There was delay which agonized him. There was this horrible news that came to him that his child had died. And then there was that long trip home when everything seemed to be falling apart. I don't want you to have illusions 
about following Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't guarantee immediate healing of all your problems. In fact, you may trust Jesus and pray like mad in a desperate situation. And like Jairus, it may get worse. Cancer spreads. The unexpected bills arrive. Friends betray you. Your loved one dies. Jesus healed everyone. Immediately, people would come for the wrong reasons. But having faith in God is not the belief that God will do what you want immediately, but rather that God will do what is right ultimately. Some of the most difficult funerals have been the ones that were just gut-wrenching. Very little that could be said to try to diffuse pain. You'd give everything for Jesus to show up and take their hand and say, get up. Unspeakable joy would happen. But he doesn't, or he didn't. You know, you know what I believe? I believe he will. Someday. If we hold on through the difficulties, one day he's going to say, get up, little lamb. He's going to make all things right someday, which is why we keep reaching out to Jesus, even through the crowd, even though there are so many things that we don't understand, so many things we can't correct. And I know many of you this morning are hurting. And I pray for you. I often have you in mind during the week. And I'm often frustrated. To know that this doesn't meet your needs. But there are others here who are with different needs. Lost people who need to be rescued. Blessed people who need to rejoice. Doubters who need theological explanation. Hungry that need to be fed. And we all need to laugh because a merry heart does one good, the sage wrote in Proverbs 17. But there is a word for you from the Lord. Reach out to him in spite of the crowd because he's already reaching out to you. Have faith in him to see you through the disaster for he has promised, be faithful unto death and I will give you that crown life. He's promised in all things God works for the good of those who love him. He's promised weeping may remain for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's promised, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he is dead, yet shall he live.
So, I can only say to you, along with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. What a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's a friend of the desperate, the hurting, the brokenhearted, the damaged, the frustrated, and the homeless. He's a friend of those who've been hurt so many times that they no longer want to trust anybody. He wants to be your friend this morning. Bob and Charles will be with me up here as we close. Kern Stutler will be in the prayer room off the south foyer. Randy Sheets will be in the balcony. He's looking to be your friend today. Would you trust him? God will make a way as we stand together. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.org where you can find all sorts of information, including how to contact us and how to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.